Welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. My name is Dominic Tyre, and I'm Pharma Forum's creative and editorial director. This episode is the first in an occasional series focused on patient engagement that's being led by Mark Duman, a clinician, consultant, and patient advocate. Here, he takes a helicopter view of patient engagement in a discussion with MSD's European lead for patient innovation, Paul Robinson, that's moderated by Pharma Forum's former web editor, Catherine Longworth. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharma Forum. Hello, and welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. Uh, Today is the first episode in a special series we have planned for you, exploring the topic of patient engagement. Now, over the course of the next few months, um, we'll be joined by specialists who will be sharing their experience and viewpoints. For our first episode today, I'm joined by Mark Duman, Chief Patient Officer at MD Healthcare, and Paul Robinson, European Lead at Patient Innovation at MSD. So thank you so much for joining us, guys, and looking forward to the conversation. Um, maybe we can just start with a bit of an introduction about you both. Um, maybe you can tell us about your background and career journey to date. Um, let's start with you, Mark. Thank you very much for the opportunity. So uh, as you can hear, I'm a, I'm a Glaswegian who uh, now lives in Manchester. I've had a very uh, interesting career, not planned, I happen to say, peripatetic, I think is that wonderful word they use. Uh, I started life as a pharmacist, having studied in Aberdeen for several years. Um, I, I worked uh, in pediatric oncology in what was then called York Hill Sick Kids Hospital. We're not allowed to call it that anymore for obvious reasons. I did a little bit of time in the pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> not sure doing time in the pharmaceutical industry is perhaps the right term to use. Um, I, I got very interested in electronic health records. We, we developed Europe's first paperless hospital up in Clyde Bank uh, near Glasgow using a Cerner system, a big electronic health record system. And then I moved to London. Uh, to find a wife, because as a good Jewish boy, there weren't that many Glas- uh, Jewish girls in Glasgow. But that's another story and probably a very different podcast. Uh, <laughs> I, I worked in the NHS for a couple of years. We developed some systems to educate specifically ethnic minority patients on how to take medicines using multimedia. And then I was blessed with a role in the King's Fund, which is a UK leading health think tank. Uh, we looked a lot about sort of patient centricity. We ran the pro- Promoting Patient Choice program, and I was really bitten uh, so to speak, by the patient bug uh, in the mid-90s, and that has been my passion ever since. Uh, I moved to the BBC, spent a couple of years there doing behavioural change programmes off the back of a broadcast. So having heard or seen this broadcast, uh, do you want to join the Fighting Fat Club? Do you have issues with arthritis? Uh, if you've got any mental health issues, call this hotline, et cetera, et cetera. Went into telecoms, and then for the last 15 years, I've been running my own consultancy, focusing on patient engagement, digital health, and market access. Amazing. So very varied experience there. Um, thank you so much, Mark. And Paul, welcome to the podcast. Um, tell us about you. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I can't compete with that varied background. Um, I'm I'm a, a doctor by training. I practiced in the NHS uh, for about uh, eight years before joining the pharmaceutical industry. And what made me join was that I'd 
uh, been involved with patients in clinical trials. And I really enjoyed the the two-way relationship that doctors had with patients in clinical trials because uh, the patient said to the doctor, thank you for helping with my angina. But at the same time, the doctor said to the patient, thank you for helping with the research. And so it was that two-way relationship and two-way dialogue that that um, that got me interested in clinical research and therefore moving into the pharmaceutical industry uh, was a, a, an obvious step. Um, I joined uh, MSD about 27 years ago, so I've been um, very comfortable with the company. I think it's a company whose uh, ethos and values are very much patient-centric and, and one that I feel comfortable in. Uh, and so I've moved through the company, through through medical affairs, through clinical research, and about five years ago, um, took the job as as European patient engagement lead, um, where I, I sort of describe my job as to 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 help support, cajole and bully uh, my colleagues to being more patient engaged and more patient centric. I'm not sure bully is on my job description. Um, <laughs> But uh, but really, I'm here as a, to a large extent, as a, as a change agent to to help the company move along this this behaviour and culture shift uh, that the whole of industry is moving in. So I'm very pleased to be here. Great, thank you so much. And yeah, I mean, before we uh, sort of get into more of the topics, I mean, let's really just set the scene. And um, interested to hear from you both. How how do you actually define patient engagement? Um, what what is it? Go on. Do you want to start on? I started the last time, Paul. Go on. All right. Um, so I think I mean there are a lot of definitions, and I guess the problem with definitions is you try and write them down on paper, and and so words get get taken out of context or teased apart. To me, it's actually a mindset. It's it's about remembering that what you're doing is about patients. It's uh, it's to meet patients' needs, and therefore um, meeting with patients, listening to patients, understanding their needs. Uh, needs to be almost the predecessor for for everything that we do, and we we wrap it up in process because industry is 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 a process driven company. So we need SOPs and we need compliance and we need um, time points on Gantt charts and things like that. But actually, to me, it it's about uh, whether we are thinking about the patient, whether we're seeing life through the patient's lens, uh, pretty much in everything we do. And, and I think industry's moved along that continuum, but I think we've still got some way to go to to have the patient in mind in everything we do. Yeah, I'd echo that, Paul. Thank, thank you for that. I think um, you've touched on the sort of clinical trials, but I think for me, um, there's areas around, you know, what patient advocacy is often seen as, oh, well, that's the patient engagement bit. But, you know, it, it's a lot more than patient advocacy. It's about patient insight. It's about patient experience. Uh, it's about participation. It's, as you say, about listening to patients and hearing their views. And it's not just about listening to patients from advocacy groups. It's also about listening to, dare I say, real patients or members of, of who are members of patient advocacy groups. I think two other key points come in for me about how we define patient engagement. Number one is it's not just about patients. It's also about carers and it's about people. So seeing people who are also impactful to patients and also trying to see the patient beyond the disease. What I didn't say in my introduction is I'm also a type 2 diabetic. And, you know, I'm, I'm often talking to my endocrinologist and my GP that you know, seem to be focused on the broken pancreas and saying, well, actually, there's mental health issues in here. There, you know, there, there, there's some other issues, et cetera, et cetera, as we all are. So please see me holistically as a whole person. And I think for industry, patient engagement, I often find will focus on either maybe an R&D side in what I'd call the medicines making world, 
and or in the medicines taking in the commercial side. And I think it needs to bridge both. Um, I think you can have a, 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 a trial participant who can also become a great patient expert, patient enga in, in engagement expert uh, or advocate. I think you can also have a trial investigator who can become a great prescriber. And I know there's regulatory issues around that, but I think I'd like to see patient engagement across the entire, as they call it in pharma, the asset life cycle. And lastly, I'd also love to see pharma think a little bit differently than their own divisions. So I'm sorry, this is vaccines, this is medical devices, this is digital health, this is pharma, this is consumer. I, as a patient and as a person, I don't really care about pharma's divisions. You know, I can use a shaver, I can use a consumer product, I can use a healthcare product or a vaccine or whatever. I'm just a person. So I'd love to see patient engagement seen across not just the whole asset life cycle, but across the whole uh, divisions that pharma often create within them within themselves. No, that's good to hear. And, and I mean, Paul, did you want to add to that one? I mean, why is it so important, um, patient engagement, that there that's an active part of healthcare delivery? Um, I mean, I agree with pretty much everything Mark said. Uh, we we obviously we do find it easy to work in in compartments, and and clinical research are interested in in how the trials are going, and uh, the advocacy people are interested in in how the policy is influencing. And and unfortunately, we are uh, heavily siloed. And I agree, we should we should see things from the patient's perspective. I mean, I remember in in many years, uh, I've sat and looked at PowerPoint slides, and the center of the PowerPoint slide would be would be our product or our company, and then everybody would revolve around us. Now, if you redraw those slides with the patient at the center, then all of a sudden you get quite a different uh, perspective on, on what's important and what order things should be done. Um, so I think that uh, it makes sense to be patient engaged. First of all, um, I, I genuinely believe that most people in the pharmaceutical industry are here to do good. Um, we're here to to prolong and improve lives. We're here to prevent disease. Um, and and the more we are in contact with and understand that context, uh, I think more, the more we will achieve that. But secondly, I think there is a commercial uh, element to this because certainly in Europe, most of these products are purchased by healthcare systems. And the healthcare systems um, want to purchase products that meet patients' needs. Uh, and so I think that if we develop better products and if we develop better services and at the end of the day, the patients are satisfied as a result, then I think the healthcare systems will value that product and will, will ultimately pay for it. So uh, I, th I think it's both um, a philosophical thing. Yes, we should be doing it. It's the right thing to do. I think commercially it also makes sense. And then, of course, finally, we're beginning to see the regulators and the HTA bodies and the ethics committees start. Uh, expecting it and asking for it and so if we don't do it, it there's a risk that it starts to become a barrier um so i think for all of those reasons um it's it's critical to our success i'll i'll jump in as well if i may catherine um i think as as paul's outlined i think it's also important you know as a non-practicing pharmacist as a patient as a patient advocate i think one of the things we really need to think about is value-based healthcare. and i'm slightly embarrassed to be part of a profession uh, that has, broadly speaking, a 50% failure rate when it comes to taking medicines as prescribed. You know, if, if pharmacy and pharmacists are the last touch point before patients go home, either from hospital or indeed from, from community settings, and fail to understand whether they want to take medicines, how to take their medicines, et cetera, et cetera, then, then I think we're not necessarily doing our job very well. And I think as we move towards payment systems that look at matching the endpoints that were claimed in clinical trial data, 
well, the very first thing you have to do is actually take the medicine before you can even look at some of the endpoints. So I think developing both medicines and patient support programs and, and, and other methods of, of supporting patients where they struggle to take medicines is going to become much more crucial. You know, we've seen with vaccine hesitancy, even around COVID, uh, specifically within uh, minority groups, issues around trust, issues around needing to support patients rather than just hand them a vial or a product and say, get on with it. So I think really trying to understand the patient, the person behind the patient, their health psychology um, needs that patient insight in order to be delivering better medicines. I don't like to call it compliance and adherence. I find that passes the blame often to the patient, but we really want to focus as an industry on medicines taking uh, in addition to the medicines making side of things. And that's why I think patient engagement, patient insight, understanding your punter, as we say in Glasgow, understanding your consumer is absolutely crucial to better, better, more focused products and services. I, I th and I think there are there are parallels there. You know, I can't believe that Apple would change the font on their iPhone or the size of their iPhone without getting end user input um, to make sure that the change they were making was was going to be well received. Uh, and and yet historically, I think pharmaceutical companies have developed medicines without much uh, input or reference to patients. And I think that uh, that that has passed now. And, and increasingly, we need to we need to listen. To patients uh, understand what they want, and then our job is to is to meet that need. Um, but to do it um, do it in in a vacuum, um, which I think is how it has been done in the past in many places, um, has has been unsuccessful. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, in practical terms, um, what what do these patient engagement activities look like? Can you can you give some examples? Um, Mark, let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think I alluded to it in the in the previous discussion. I think for me, there's a there's a massive issue around what is is by the industry called patient support programs (PSPs). Um, you know, uh, often they're only associated with high cost medicines. But you know, I take my metformin. Uh, it's a generic, so don't worry, I'm not advertising. Uh, you know, twice a day. Um, there are apps out there to help me to take it, et cetera, et cetera. And I simply put a reminder into my Outlook calendar that says eight in the morning, eight at night, remember to take your medicines. That works for me. But what about people who struggle to open blister packs? What about people who, you know, uh, have, have illness perception or medicines beliefs that are different from mine? And health psychology, I often believe, is the missing ingredient in healthcare. So I think we need to not just jump on the digital bandwagon, but really start to look at issues around patient activation, around health literacy, around digital literacy. And again, it's a bit of a mantra of mine, but really understanding in my case, not just my HbA1c or my BMI and these wonderful clinical measures, but actually beginning to understand, well, who is the person behind the broken pancreas? Uh, do they want to inject? Uh, you know, I did some work for a large pharmaceutical company and they were all about their new auto injector. And I said, well, the first question you have to ask is, do I want to inject? And they were like, what? I said, well, that's the fundamental first question, not how good is it or does it work or how can you make it easier for me? But there are people out there who don't want to stick needles in themselves. So you're already into a subgroup of your entire audience. Um, I think the other thing that I've seen and I think is I really support industry, probably not just one company, but across industry doing is disease awareness campaigns. I think we really need to start moving much, much more quickly into earlier detection uh, of diseases. Cancer, as we know in the UK, is, is not well detected. Um, we're beginning to see lots of tests being delivered to people's homes, et cetera, et cetera. So I think what I'm seeing is, is 
that that health psychology, that support around the patient taking taking medicines. And there's a whole bunch of stuff happening at the at the medicines making side of things, um, you know. But I'm sure Paul can touch on them as far far more erudite than I am on that side of the business. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that on the medicines making side, as as you put it, um, uh, most companies have made huge steps to getting patient input into the choice of endpoints, into patient preference around what medicines look like. Uh, we've certainly done some of that. Would patients rather take one large tablet or two small ones? Does that differ if it's a 10-day a treatment versus a 10-year treatment? Um, what in, what endpoints are important to them, what the comparator for studies should be done, how clinical trials can be recruited. Um, so I think that the patient input into the, the, the nuts and bolts of designing and running clinical trials has progressed immensely and, and will carry on progressing um, and, and we'll get better and better at it. Uh, but I agree with Mark that there's there are other things that are important to patients. Um, diversity is one. Uh, access to healthcare in an equitable manner is another. So, are we are we making sure that our medicines are available in a wide variety of countries? Are we including the right variety of people in our research? Uh, at the moment, quite quite important is is uh, is for the patient that doesn't have COVID. Um, uh, the patients who don't have COVID, they're more concerned about. Are they going to get their vaccines? Are they going to get their their cancer care? Are they going to get their routine monitoring? And so, I think. The important thing with with patient engagement is is the listening, and and then having listened and found out what's important to the patient, you then design your your strategies appropriately. Um, so moving beyond making the medicines, there's then clearly patient input into regulatory decisions, and both EMA and FDA and MHRA have all made. Uh, increasing strides to listen to patients in that process and then beyond that the reimbursement discussions with NICE and other agencies like that again the, the patient's view at the table can be really quite influential in in helping the committee understand whether the medicine in front of them really meets a need or not uh, and and certainly in my experience can turn uh, a, a borderline appraisal into a positive one um, so I think for, for me moving listening to patients throughout the whole of the life cycle, uh, not just development and, and licensing and, and reimbursement, but as Mark says, through to supporting people who take the medicine, uh, understanding how it, how it interacts with other medicines and other activities they get up to. Is the material we're providing with them, is that helpful? Do they understand it? Is there anything else we can do to make the medicine more effective in real life? So th I think this is a, it, it's a it's an activity that we've, we've we've been doing for the last five years, but but it's still far from um, omnipresent in everything, uh, and that's where we need to get to. We need to make it a mindset. Yeah, and I mean you've both touched around some of them already, but uh, what are really the main challenges of um, engaging with patients or linked to patient engagement um, from your perspective? Well, I, I, it's interesting. I, I was speaking to a pharma company who shall obviously remain nameless yesterday, and they said, you know, we can't communicate with patients. And I'm like, no, that's a myth. You can communicate with patients. You just have to do it, you know, in a, in a compliant and, and, and you know, regulatory, regulatory, legally compliant way. Um, and, and I'm quite surprised to still be hearing that, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm not suggesting uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of direct consumer advertising as they have in the States. Uh, I found when I was last there pre-COVID that uh, wearing my pharmacist hat and indeed my patient hat 
the, the, the whole consumer model of, of prescription medicines and the way they were advertised demeans the value of medicines to me. So I'm not talking about direct consumer advertising, although I know there are, I believe there are some advantages around disease awareness, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I also think there's some interesting topics around shared decision making and informed choice that, that one could discuss. But I'm talking much more about the idea that, you know, pharma can't keep saying we can't communicate with patients. They, they can, they do, uh, and they just need to get away from that myth. Um, and I think that goes back to Paul's absolutely key point, which is it's about mindset. You know, um, we communicate with clinicians, we communicate with policymakers. We need to see communicating with patients as a mandated part of the mix, not just a nice to have. So I think there still is a mindset challenge. I think the other challenge for me is sometimes it's seen as well, someone else's job. Um, you know, so where chief patient officers or heads of ag advocacy functions exist, it's often, well, that's their job, not mine. So I think there also needs to be, it's, it's a little bit of, you know, medicine safety, um, you know, compliance is everybody's job, um, you know, as, as is quality. So I think that sort of patient insight is everybody's job. There's a little bit for me around measurement. You know, how do we, we everybody can talk and puts the patient at the center in all the strategy documents. But what does that look like in, as, as Paul said earlier, their, their, their standard operating procedures in their operations, et cetera, et cetera. Does that patient view come into it uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a formal way? Is it documented? Are there gateways within the, in the organization that says, well, this can't go forward until we've had validated patient insight to show that, yes, we've understood their needs and we're taking them into account. Um, we need to measure return on engagement. I think that's a huge issue. Most of the senior people I speak to in advocacy and engagement functions often say a lot of their time is spent justifying their existence and their team's existence upwards uh, to, to the business. So, you know, we are running commercial businesses. Uh, you know, they do spend a lot on R&D. Uh, and I do think there's something about being able to justify the spend on engagement. Uh, and lastly, I think there's a little bit of a challenge for me. And again, I'm, uh, Paul, I know, is highly networked. So he may, he may say, no, that's not a challenge. That's just you. But I do think there's a need perhaps for senior and indeed middle and maybe even all advocacy people in the sort of patient advocacy and patient engagement functions to, to maybe have a network. Uh, I think they exist for medical directors. They exist for R&D directors. I'm not sure if that formal network or even I think some informal networks exist, but I think there needs to be a little bit more networking in that advocacy and engagement function across pharma companies and indeed across life science and digital health companies more broadly. Um, it's not just about pharma companies, it's the, it's the broader piece around, around the whole ecosystem. You know, we have increasing numbers of patient directors in the NHS. Um, let's have patient directors talking to chief patient officers. Sorry, that was a very long answer. Yeah, that's great. And uh, Paul, did, did you want to add well, anything more about the challenge? The, the networks do exist, but Mark hasn't been invited to join them. Um, <laughs> uh, I think the challenge is, you're right. I mean, there's, you know, there's this prohibition on promoting to the public. And I think there are two issues. The first is, well, what do you mean by promotion? And um, uh, and what I hear commonly from my compliance and legal people is when I propose something, they say, well, that might be perceived as promoting. Well, yes, it might be, but it isn't. So let's get on and do it is my response. But there is a fear of um, of being accused of being the test case of whether discussing um, a phase three trial or discussing the results of a phase three trial, whether that constitutes promotion to the public. I think that's one challenge. The second challenge, of course, is that patient advocates don't regard themselves as members of the public. 
Um, they think they're special, they're patient experts, and, and I have a lot of respect for that. But at the moment, in the legal circles, the view is you're either a healthcare professional or you're a member of the public. Um, and so we've got some compliance issues to get over. Uh, I think the codes of practice are evolving. I'd love to see codes of practice tell us what we can do rather than what we can't do. Um, but as I say, nobody really wants to be the the the, the test case that that draws the lines of what you can and can't do. So I think there is a compliance, a hesitancy, a reluctance, a risk aversion that we will get past with with time. Uh, I think there are very good forums. Um, FPA uh, in Europe has a patient think tank where where people like me from uh, from twenty companies and uh, people might, from like Mark from from twenty patient organisations sit down regularly and talk about issues. Nothing nothing's off the table. Everything can be discussed, and we try and come out with. Um, principles that everybody agrees uh, are acceptable. And I think moving from telling people what you can't do to telling them what you can do is uh, is important. Um, I agree that the return on engagement, um, return on investment, whatever you want to call it, is also important. Whenever you come to uh, an organization and say, I'd like you to do something extra, something in addition, um, I'd like you to change your processes. Uh, there's always the question, well, A, how much is it going to cost? B, how much is it going to slow me down? And C, where's the evidence that it's going to do any good? Uh, and I think that um, in in many ways, if we believe this is the right thing to do, we should get on and do it. But answering those questions is a little bit tricky. Uh, if a clinical trial does uh, recruit particularly well or particularly diversely or with an endpoint that's particularly creative, well, can you ever be certain it was down to the patient input? It, could it have been just because the disease was more common or the protocol was nice or the CRO did very well? So I think expecting a really simple, I'll spend $100,000 on this and in return you'll get your drug to market in six weeks earlier. I think probably I'm past thinking that that's, gonna, that's ever going to be shown. And actually, we should just get on and do this because it's the right thing to do and we're expected to do it. Thank you. Yes. And finally, for all our listeners, what would you say is your top tip around patient engagement? Um, any advice? Yeah, my, my top tip jumping in there. And, and just before before I do, actually, funny enough, I just want to pick up on something that, that Paul said. You've been talking about sort of ad boards and stuff like that and, you know, which hats do people wear. I remember wearing, I remember I was offered uh, a sum of money or being a patient on a particular ad board for a, for a UK affiliate, a uh, UK company. And uh, I said, oh, that's nice. Thank you very much. I said, by the way, I'm also, at that time, I was a registered clinician. They said, ah, well, for that, we pay you double. And I said, okay, well, given that I'm a patient and a clinician, can I have, a, you know, all both both payments, please? <laughs> Which they said no to. But, you know, I just, I thought, I just thought it's interesting there how, you know, even in the world of, of patient advocacy and stuff, you know, we'll, we'll pay clinicians to come to ad boards. Some pay patients to to, to uh, come to ad boards, some don't. Uh, and there's something there about the point Paul made of equity and all the rest of it. You know, we, we need to see people and patients as, as, you know, an investment and something that will help us with product and stuff like that. So to invest in them. Uh, as well as investing in clinicians and stuff like that. So just a, a little point there about, you know, uh, value, reward, recognition uh, and equity. Uh, my top tip is is quite simple. Um, I don't like the phrase or the, ter the term co-creation, but I think before you do anything, uh, even with the best will in the world, whether it's a digital health technology, whether it's a medical device, whether it's a new medicine, um, go and speak to people 
uh, and carers who, you know, who have, have that condition, who have experienced that disease. Um, you know, even endocrinologists whom I deal with uh, on, on, a, on, a, on a regular basis, who I think are actually some of the most person-centered clinicians out there, uh, and talk about structured patient education and talk about language matters and digital literacy and, uh, you know, uh, closed loop pancreases and all that sort of stuff. We really get it. Still don't mean to be, but still come at things understandably from a sort of quite medical perspective and often a textbook perspective because they've never lived with the condition. So my urge would be, you know, bring people in and try and do it a little bit formally, you know, chatting to your mum, to your friend, to a couple of people in the office is better than nothing. But I think getting co-creation, having those people in right from the beginning with as close to a blank piece of paper as you can have, will I promise, uh, not I'm sure I could measure it, but I promise will make a difference to your to your end product and to your end service. Uh, I would agree with that. In fact, only this morning I, I, I was reading an email from colleagues where we are refining uh, an external statement about what we believe uh, we should be doing in patient engagement. Uh, and of course, we have no patient on the group yet, uh, whilst we formulate what we're going to say about patient engagement. Um, and so uh, I find myself repeatedly saying, um, why don't we ask some patients? Why isn't there a patient in the room at this, at this point? Um, top tip, I think just get on and do it. Dip your toe in the water. Um, if you don't have a process, then create one uh, or do something um, as an exception first time. Because uh, my experience is that pretty much everybody who dips their toe in the water, who sits down with a bunch of patients who have the condition they, they're they trying to work with, they find the experience valuable. They may not be able to measure it, as Mark says, they may not be able to articulate it, but the empathy, the uh, understanding of the walking in the patient's shoes um, is is a way of motivating people, of uh, making them more passionate about what they're doing um, and inevitably I believe produce a better product at the end so I don't think you have to have a perfect process a perfect SOP um, uh, refined fair market value documents etc to start I think you need to start your journey um, and then having done that yes at some point you're going to want to embed it in how you do things uh, and you're going to want to have those bits of paper and those compliance documents that that, that people in the industry like to have to wrap around them. Um, but for me, the, the 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 really big thing I repeatedly say to people is, you know, let's just ask a few patients what they think. Let's just get some input, because once you do that, it's um, it's a little bit habit forming, uh, which is obviously what we're trying to do. Great. Thank you. And see, there's a lot more that we can discuss here, which is um, why we're going to keep this as an ongoing conversation um, in the series. But I mean, was there any other final thoughts you had to share um, before we wrap up for today? Uh, I, I just want to say thank you to Paul, you know, because, uh, you know, we, we talked about doing this series. We talked about reaching out and, and, and engaging pharma. And, and Paul was like, yeah, 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 let's do this. And I think it's the very fact that Pharma Forum is doing a podcast on this, the very fact that Paul has come in from industry and said, yeah, let's do it as industry and patient together, I think is 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 hopefully uh, a sign of the of the way forward that, you know, it's it's I, I very much said to Pharma Forum, I don't want to do this as some some patient, some ex-clinician talking about stuff. I want to get pharma involved. And, and Paul was very keen and eager to do that. So I want to, without sounding sycophantic and not wanting to necessarily get into the networks I can't get into, 
uh, just to say thank you to Paul and indeed to you at Pharma Forum for, for doing the series. Thank you very much, Mark. And Paul, did you have any other thoughts to add? Yeah, I think for me, this is all about relationships. It's all about um, meeting people, getting to know them, uh, being trusted and trusting them, listening and hearing what they've got to say. So for me, this is about partnerships. It's about relationships. It's about trust. And none of that happens quickly. Um, it, none of it happens uh, just because you've got uh, a, a, an immediate need. And so what I'd really want to say to, to colleagues who are involved in patient engagement is, is, is be present where the patients are, get to know them, listen. Uh, sometimes their agenda and your agenda will, will diverge, but more often they'll actually converge. And I think if we do that, then as we move forward, we will be working in partnership and, and alignment much more, which is probably where we need to be. Great. Thank you very much, Paul. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. Um, there's a lot more that we can discuss um, about this. And Please stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be exploring the topic of chief patient officers and really examining that role. Um, so thank you again to Paul and Mark for joining me today. And thank you again to listeners. And that concludes episode 43 of the Pharma Forum podcast and our first look at patient engagement with Mark Duman and this time MSD's Paul Robinson. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other instalments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The Pharmaforum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharmaforum. And don't forget to visit our website to sign up for daily or weekly email pharmaceutical news and analysis bulletins. And follow us on Twitter, where we are at PharmaForum. Forum.